How do you do? Mr. Carl Lindley feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. Podcast, and we've made it one year, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. They said it wouldn't last. Who said it wouldn't last? Everybody. I don't think so. Maybe just us. Maybe just us. Yeah. But we have made it one year of talking about movies, enjoying movies, and having fun at the movies. And Boo, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's our one year anniversary of the podcast. Thank you so much to everybody that's listened to us and followed us. Uh, it's really meant a lot to us. 2020 was a rough year, and this was one of our bright spots out of that bad year. So thank you for being there for us, and I can't wait to see what we do in the future with this podcast. I mean, I thought we were just going to retire after this. We made it a year. We did make it a year, so this will be our last episode. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. We got plenty of movies to still talk about. Uh, it's also October 1st. It we're is. We're finally here. I'm so happy, super hyped. Yes. Cue this, the uh, spooky, scary skeletons. Yes, uh, the lady who has been dying for it to be October since November. Of last year, yes. So, you know, I just got a question. Is this basically your favorite movie that we're going to talk about today? It's one of my favorite movies. But before we get talking about this movie... On the day of recording that we're doing this, it is my cousin Yasmin's birthday. Happy birthday. And she also had her baby today. She did. We were so, very excited. Yeah, so I have a brand new nephew, so happy birthday to him. And let's get on to a great episode because we're going to be talking about Frankenstein, the 1931 version starring Boris Karloff, Colin Clive, directed by James Whale, a universal hit. Probably the most iconic of the universal monsters. Definitely. Uh, f I know for a long time I thought Frank uh, Frankenstein came first before Dracula. Mm -hmm. And you were the one to tell me, no, Dracula actually came first. Yeah. And it's just, it's kind of weird because, yeah, Frankenstein really is like the mascot of Universal. I mean, oh, yeah. granted, you know, merch-wise, he's always dead center. And it's just interesting to see how, you know, since he came a little bit later in the year, he has just been such this big prominent figure in universal history and in monster history too well yeah i mean there's no monster movie genre without frankenstein let's be honest there's here. always a frankenstein there's always a dracula and this year they're both celebrating their 90th anniversaries which is kind of crazy yeah i mean 
granted, the movie we're going to be talking about, the OG Frankenstein. Well, not the OG, because Edison made one, but yeah, the famous one. And that one's kind of weird, but this is the OG OG. Yeah, and it has been decades since I've seen this movie. Really? Oh, yeah, I haven't seen this movie since I was, like, little. I ain't gonna lie. Uh, I was probably, like, seven the last time I saw this movie. That long? Probably. Wow. It was, it was one of these movies that they used to play on, like, Halloween on, like, AMC or, yeah. like, sci-fi or whatever because you play it at, like, midnight or whatever, and it was, like, 70 minutes long, so I was able to watch it before I go to bed on, like, Halloween night. It's not like now where it's mostly played on Turner Classic Movies in if October. That. Yeah. Because I actually tried to find this movie, and I found every other frankenstein movie from like the 60s yeah but the original one is like not on like any streaming service i was really able to find i mean i guess you could watch it off of amazon but i ain't paying for that let's be right yeah i was kind of on the same boat too where i was just looking to see if i could stream it versus going through my dvds and Mm. i was like yeah i'm not gonna rent or buy something that i already own yeah but if you had told me i would have let you borrow one of my many copies because i do have multiple copies of this movie i guess but yeah, so where do you want to start with this? Uh, let's start a little bit with the history of this movie, because originally it came from the iconic book written by Mary Shellen Wollstonecraft, and she was only 19 when she wrote this. Yeah, I mean, she was pretty much the woman who started, like, gothic horror. Definitely. She is the mother of that. I mean, even granted for the time, she had to put it under her husband's name, right? To get it published? I think so, because the book came out in, what, like, 17-something? So it came out in 1818, and it's just so interesting to see that this book that came out such a long time ago is still very much part of our uh, pop culture, and it doesn't matter, you know, how far pop culture goes, there's always some version of Frankenstein that we get every other year or so whether it's (laughs) it's also public domain and that probably helps well that it's going to be public this movie is going to be public domain i think in the next few years it yeah i mean traditionally it would have been a bunch of times over but universal is holding on to those rights like the like you know gold i mean i don't blame them it's the same with uh jack pierce's makeup and design that he did for frankenstein that's also entering public domain so well that's really what what they're afraid of is the iconic look of frankenstein entering public domain because this version of frankenstein with the flat head and the bolts on the neck Mm -hmm. and the green skin that's owned by universal yeah everything else is from the book which is public domain but you can't make a frankenstein that looks like that without paying universal a shit ton of money and we always get him in different variations, whether it's cartoons, uh, costumes. There's nothing quite like the original Boris Karloff Frankenstein. And it, yeah, I don't blame Universal for holding onto that tightly because he is such a unique character and figure and completely different from his counterpart in the book. Yeah. Where, where he's more of just a regular man. Well, I've never read the book. So, like, I don't actually know, because you were reading it not too long ago, right? Yeah, I'm cur- currently in the process of reading the book. It's really good, but, you know, when I was in college, I took a, an English course where we watched Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with Robert De Niro and... Kenneth um, Branagh. There you go, who starred in it and directed it, and with Helena Bonham Carter, who mm. plays Elizabeth in the movie. And that was supposed to be, like, the truest adaptation to the book. So it's interesting to see where, yes, he is reborn, basically, and he's just this angry man who's angry at his creator. And in this movie, we get Boris Karloff, who is mute, 
because he's given an abnormal brain or a criminal brain, as they say. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see how the two have stretched apart, you know, the story. And it's iconic. It's definitely iconic. I mean, if you look at the movie, this was on the AF, the original AFI Top yeah. 100 list. Um, I was sad that they took it off the AFI list. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really weird because this is probably the most important of the Universal Monster films. Mm-hmm. I would argue it's probably the best made one of the original ones from the from the early early 30s well i I think the invisible man's my personal favorite that's probably like mine that i would say is the best but between this and like dracula yeah and the wolfman because those what about bride of frankenstein where the story is really elaborated bride of frankenstein is probably a better movie but like out of the original three the trinity you know Mm -hmm. uh dracula frankenstein the wolfman Mm -hmm. this is probably the best one i mean don't be wrong dracula is a really important movie but it's it's so slow compared to this it's also longer too yeah i mean we talked about this a little bit earlier i guess we'll we'll get into the movie a little bit yeah this movie's only 70 minutes long yeah and i was kind of surprised because i i watch it every so often so Mm. i was thinking oh it's probably gonna be up there like with dracula where dracula was what almost two hours i don't know if it's even two hours i think dracula might only be like 90 minutes well, compared to Dracula, I was like, okay, we get into the story, we hit the climax soon, and then it's done. It's like, really? That's it? I don't know if it's maybe because I'm reading the book, and I'm getting a lot more information, and the story just kind of slowly progresses, mm-hmm. that I felt like, wow, we just jumped into this movie, and we're back out again. Yeah, I mean, you say you come back to this every once in a while. When yeah. was the last time you watched it, I guess, before this? Uh, probably last year. I try to, you know, watch it every so often Mm -hmm. i don't want it to be a thing where it's like oh yeah i see this on the regular i kind of want to keep it special so and and this is obviously a very uh, early childhood kind of film oh definitely i've been watching this since longer than i can remember i think that's why a lot of people gravitate towards this is because as a little kid it's a a horror movie quote-unquote yeah that's not that scary only because it's just like so old at this point we're desensitized but back to the point i was making before is yeah this movie's really well paced it's really fast yeah also the plot is probably fast and loose adapted from the book so Mm -hmm. they're probably cutting huge chunks of shit out yeah there's also weird stuff with like a wedding and doc frankenstein going kind of crazy but then not crazy and then he's really in love and the monster's there and then fritz is a thing yeah like that's another thing we don't have an igor in this no we don't get an igor i think we get one in Bride of Frankenstein? Because that's the catch, right? Igor doesn't exist in the book. It's just an assistant, like the hunchback or whatever, is just Fritz from this. Oh, Igor, we get him in Son of Frankenstein, the final time that Boris Karloff plays the monster. Mm. And uh, Bride of Frankenstein, we get Dr. Pretorius, who is the villain of that movie. Yeah. And we get Fritz, played by Dwight Fry, who was in Dracula. And when he was doing Dracula, he did a screen test for Frankenstein. Really? He did it on the actual set of Dracula. They shot, you know, his screenshot. They did Bella Lugosi because they really wanted Bella Lugosi to be Frankenstein. I heard that, and I, I also heard that he turned it down because the script was shit. Well, that and he learned that the monster wouldn't speak, and he was just very, you know, how like, could how I'm could an he actor, not? I'm a play, play. Exactly, and it's like, you know, Bella Lugosi has such a unique and iconic voice, it's like, how can he be in a movie and not talk? You expect to hear 
you know, this Dracula character come out of him. And uh, Edward Van Sloan, who is uh, Van Helsing in the movie, also did his screenshot for that, too. So we have two original cast members from Dracula in this movie. Which is kind of cool. Also, I know I said, oh, the script for Frankenstein was shit. That's why Pelagosi turned it down. It was also the original version of Frankenstein. Have you heard about this? I've heard a little bit about this, yeah. Where, like, the original script or whatever, no one really knows that much about it, but they do have, like, mock-up posters, and it's, like, a 60-foot Frankenstein with, like, lasers shooting out of his eyes, like, terrorizing a little village. So, that was the script that was pitched to Bela Lugosi. James Wales basically wrote this version. Yeah, and they also had ideas of making him kind of like the golem, where he, you know, is brought to life by a child... And he protects, you know, children and he goes after, you know, bad people. So it's interesting to see the avenues that they wanted to go and what we got in the final product, which I think is amazing. But another thing to throw back to Dracula, Todd Browning was actually the director on this movie before James Whale jumped in. Yeah, I think he also bailed because the script was shit. Something like that, because he has like two iconic scenes in the movie. I can't think of the second one, but the windmill scene at the end, mm-hmm. he directed that scene. Really? Oh, mm-hmm. so he left, like, mid-production? I think early to mid. I think they shot it out of order, so... Mm. Well, I, I understand they shot it out of order, but really? I thought James Wales was, like... Because they had Todd Browning on, but it's one of those things where, oh, he's on in the pre-production, and then he left, and then James Wales comes on, he's the one who shot the whole thing. It might have been, like, early production, you know early into the shooting that he probably left. I'm not really sure what the reason was that he left, but James Whale came in, and I know him and Karloff kind of had a not-too-great-of-a-relationship with each other. Yeah. From what I understand, Boris Karloff was not happy having to wear 15 pounds of makeup and a full bodysuit all day. And then James Whale, you know, this constant back-and-forth made him carry Colin Clive up the hill multiple times which resulted in Karloff breaking his back. Mm. And it's just like, yeah, not too great. I know they really uh, disputed with each other over the death of Maria in this movie, the little mm. girl that's thrown into the lake. Yeah. And Karloff and a lot of the cast were, you know, just pleading with him, can we not kill her? You know, really, do we need to make the monster this much of a monster where he kills I think a child? that's one of the better scenes in the movie, though. It's sad because you can see it that he doesn't mean to harm her to kill her well it's like um lenny from mice and men yeah he's so simple he doesn't know what he's doing but he can hurt people and it's like i think that's a really good scene in the movie it I mean, is it's a just lot heartbreaking of, i mean there's a lot of really good scenes in this movie yeah i mean one of my personal ones is actually at the beginning when they're in the graveyard oh just because yeah. it's it's so it looks like such a german expressionist wet dream <laughs> where it's like these heavy shadows there's like all these weird like not real at all depictions of a graveyard. It looks like something an EC Comics guy would have drawn in the 50s. I mean, down to, you know, the huge statue of the Grim Reaper that's there on the hill. Right? It's so cool. Yeah, and it's also, like, really weird, but it's it's so visually interesting. It's a beautiful scene. I mean, granted, it's very morbid what they're doing in the scene. Yeah. Also, I thought it was cool in that scene, they actually put a microphone in the coffin so you can so hear the dirt? You hear the dirt. It's like all these tiny things that just added to the scene because prior to that, I thought, okay, you know, this is not on a soundstage or maybe they did some of the shooting outdoors. 
no, that that whole you know background of that scene is just painted yeah. onto a canvas. So it's just. I mean, this movie is made in '31. Everything's on a soundstage somewhere. And unfortunately, the soundstage at Universal that it was shot on, Stage Twelve, was demolished last year. Oh, is it really? Only last year? Yeah, I guess over maybe like the past ten years, they've been slowly tearing down a majority of the studios back there because they want to renovate and make brand new studios. I mean, if that's the same studio that filmed Frankenstein, that thing is, God, 90 years old, probably older. Yeah, I think it was built two years before Frankenstein went to go film on that stage. But it's Mm -hmm. just, it's heartbreaking to see the stage that it sat on is just gone because it shot so many movies there, you know, including Dracula, Bride of Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Spartacus back to the future really uh it the sting earthquake all these huge movies one of your personal favorites the best little whorehouse in texas with dolly i have never seen that movie lies and slander i legitimately have no idea what that movie's even about the jurassic park movies casper so it has a long history of iconic movies and it's just gone yeah which is sad but i mean it still made a bunch of movies, but, you know, it's just a building at the end of the day. I know, and that's kind of like, you know, the Little Europe set that we get where we have partially the wedding and all the party that's excited for Henry and Elizabeth's wedding. That original set actually burned down early, maybe 50s, 40s. So what we've seen has been, like, the rebuilt uh, set in the 60s. I mean, most of the stuff in that back lot has been torn down and demolished and pulled away. I or, mean, or burned down because there's always a fire there. Yeah, well, I mean, if you really think about it, a lot of those old studios back in like the late 60s and stuff were pretty much abandoned, or huge chunks of stage were abandoned because the movie industry fell out. Yeah. But, but you know, the actual movie at hand. The actual movie at hand. You want to talk about the characters? Um, sure. I mean, I'll talk about, I guess I'll talk about the actor that did play Henry Frankenstein, mm-hmm. uh, Colin Clive, because I know Boris Karlov was like the breakout hit yeah. of this movie. Cause you know, after this, he gets in every horror flick. He doesn't stop working until basically he dies in the sixties. Yeah. But I really liked Colin Clive in this movie and it, I looked him up a little bit. And after this, he was only in like pictures as a leading man he was in a couple of supporting roles in like bigger movies but i think he deserved way better he was a really good actor in this yeah he was and there's just something so striking about his appearance too he kind of gives me like he looks like a guy who hasn't slept in four days well no i was thinking like you know movie star quality wise he kind of looks like tyrone power there's just something about his his face his face he he's a very handsome man and it's sad that you know, the route that he went, that he passed away from, you know, alcoholism and complications of tuberculosis. Let's be honest. He died from tuberculosis. The booze just didn't help. Yeah, it didn't help. But it's just sad that he only lived like six years after The Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, isn't he also... He also came back to play Frankenstein in The Bride of Frankenstein, right? Or did he... Because I think he also reprised his role as Frankenstein one other time before he, you know, died. Yeah, yeah, he was in Bride of Frankenstein, and after that, I think it was just, like, the B-rated movies, so it was kind of sad to well, see. Well, I mean, let, let's be honest here, Franken, like, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein were probably B-rated movies when they came out, they just made a shit ton of money. They made a, a ton of money, and 
that's when they started doing those like all night double features of Frankenstein and Dracula, mm-hmm. where people would just line up around the corner and watch them at all hours of the night. So even though a lot of people in the the movie industry are kind of, you know, like oh it's just a horror movie. There well, is a vast audience. It that got will watch a lot these of like positive reviews when yeah. it came out. People were like, "Oh, this is really good. It has, uh, it's a more tame version of Dracula, but oh, it's a very good film. The filmmaking here is fantastic. The use of sound, blah blah." People really dug this film. Mm-hmm. I I say you know, it was a B picture, yada yada, because it was made in the '30s and it was a horror film. And technically, at the time, it wasn't a horror movie because. The, the brand and titling of Horde didn't come out like for like two or three more years after oh, this movie. Oh, when like people figured like the horror genre, genre yeah. within film mm-hmm. is like a marketing thing. Yeah, so this is older than horror. This and Dracula, <laughs> and it's kind of like you think about horror history, and these are way up there on that list. I mean, that's also the thing where if you go back to classic Lovecraft stories like mm-hmm. H.P. Lovecraft, because he wrote in the 20s and they weren't called horror stories, they were called weird fiction. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of interesting, because this is, you know, at the heart of it, a science fiction story, right? Yeah. Very science fiction. I mean, uh, Henry Frankenstein is a student, essentially, because he drops out of his university, mm-hmm. because his university just isn't, you know, catering into his experiments that he needs to have, and he tells everybody, you know, I'm going to do something remarkable, and he does. He creates life from death. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to see that dynamic. And I like that in the book, Mary Shelley really doesn't say how he brings this man back to life. But here we get lightning, thunder. We get, you know, beakers and he's stirring things. So visually, it's beautiful to see him inside of this like decommissioned light tower. There's a lot of beautiful imagery in this. I think that's that's probably why I like this more than Dracula is because Dracula has is a very gothic film. It's yeah. a very you know, um, slower paced, spooky kind of movie. But this is like it's really it paced really fast. Mm-hmm. There's uh you know the the phrase "Don't bore us, get to the chorus." Yes. This movie is just packed full of like oh iconic image of like the graveyard, iconic image of the monster coming mm-hmm. to life, iconic image of the lightning, iconic image of you know, all oh, the monster fighting off the flames, iconic mm-hmm. image of the of the milled house and all this other stuff. Like, it's just hitting you with all these amazing bits of imagery that have gone on to be iconic. Yeah, because like, in, the, in the book, when he brings back, or when he brings the monster to life, he's doing it in his dorm room. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, beautiful imagery that we get this castle-like vibe and, you know, huge towers and lights and this you know this scientific setup versus essentially a room yeah i've always been kind of curious about that because in the book is it supposed to be taking place in like you know germany it's supposed to be like the swiss alps the swiss alps okay yeah because this might just be the thing where every universal film took place in vaguely german village number seven well, it's Little Germany, the set, yes. Yeah. So that, that's why it all, all those movies kind of have, like, a German vibe to them, because that's just the way the set was built. Yeah, because, I like, Frankenstein, it's in this big, big-ass castle. Yeah. Like, all the characters are varying degrees of American, English, German, vaguely yeah. European accents. So I, it was always weird for me to try and figure out where is this happening. Yeah. 
Because, like, when you watched the movie, just movie cold, mm-hmm. where in the world did you think it was? Definitely Europe. Somewhere somewhere in Europe, yeah. right? But Poland, England, Germany, France, Batman. Well, yes, Batman, exactly. Batman, wherever. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that was the vibe that I got, too. And, yeah, it, it makes sense. That's their little Germany set. So, yes, it feels very much like... A German movie. Mm, I mean that with all the. If you did this without the sound, you could probably convince somebody this was like a early German expressionist film, like Definitely. maybe directed by Fritz Lang. Yeah, because this reminds me a lot of like M, which is you know. Oh, a you great love movie. M. It's one of my favorite movies. That movie's fantastic. But that's kind of what this reminds me of. It's like very dark shadows. The sets are in that weird realm of being like surrealist interpretations of mm-hmm. real places yeah. because it, you're in a castle but you can tell the castle's not real mm-hmm. but it is a physical set and people are interacting with it and it's it's a really uncanny valley thing it's almost like you're you're watching a dream interpretation of yeah. real places and you know again i i can't praise the visuals of this film enough even if the story and this is the, the critique i have even if the story is barely a story, it is a loose pinning of plot points yeah. to show off cool shit. <laughs> yeah, because in the story, we get more into the relationship of um, Henry and Elizabeth, who in the book, his name is Victor. Yeah. And they switched, they switched it in this movie because they felt that... Victor, too German. No, no, no. We need an American guy in there. We need some Henry here. Yeah, I thought that was weird. They thought, you know, Victor sounded too aggressive, so let's give him, you know... Henry, a, a nice American name. And it's just like, no, he's Victor Frankenstein. But it was cool to see that even in Young Frankenstein, they correct it. They rename him Victor. Yeah. So we'll talk about Young Frankenstein later. But, you know, I'm not too big on actors from this time period. Not everybody. So I'm not really sure who Leslie Howard was. Off the top of my head, I don't know for anything no. other than this. But apparently, uh, the original cast, they wanted him to be Henry Frankenstein. And for Elizabeth, they wanted her to be Betty Davis. Really? And I was like, wow. That would have been Betty something. Betty Davis yeah. in 31? Yeah. Was she already famous by then? I don't think so. I think this probably would have been an early role for her. That would have that would have been insane. Yeah, that's why... I, I was kind of like, wow, and that really would have changed up our story, but James Whale was like, no. He's like, I need Colin Clive. Colin Clive is this character. And he was right. I mean, you think of... Wait, so because he got Colin Clive, that meant he couldn't get Betty Davis? Or or was it a thing where it's like, no, 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 like, we have this starlet, and we need to match her up with a leaning man, and they were like, Colin Clive's a B actor? Maybe, or maybe it just fell through with Betty Davis. It, you know, she could have gotten another role in something. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he really fought to get Colin Clive. And the original girl who plays Elizabeth in this movie, she didn't make it over to Bride of Frankenstein. They recasted her as somebody else. Yeah. So. Is this one of those things like Friday the 13th where people were, after people were in this movie, they were, like, embarrassed so they didn't come back? It could have been. It could, or it just... I know the the actress that plays um, Elizabeth in this movie. I think her name's Mae Clark. Mm-hmm. Can't think of it off the top of my head. She was terrified of, you know, scary stuff. And you've got Karloff in full makeup. And at the time, they were really playing it up. You know, oh my God, you're not going to be able to get through this movie. You you may pass out. 
you know, seeing the cues that Alfred Hitchcock took much later when he did like Psycho, where he had the the warnings and the cards where you can't enter the theater or mm -hmm. you know all that stuff. So she was really afraid of him in makeup and Karloff being, you know, basically a giant teddy bear. Yeah. Told her, it's me when I'm in full garb, but in our scene together, I will wave my pinky finger at you so you know that, that is, it's still me. That is a weird trivia fact, because I know Karloff, while well, he acted for years and years, and he mm -hmm. was always in horror movies. Yeah. Like, that guy, basically after Frankenstein, appeared in what is it uh like the black cat he appeared in black sabbath the he mummy. was in the mummy terror like he was just in all these horror flicks mm -hmm. for decades after this and i don't really know if he did anything else but it is good to hear that he was at least a nice human being outside of these he wasn't in oh, these yeah. horror movies because he was a dick no no he was a very nice guy and he was the same with the the actress that played maria who he throws into the lake he just felt, you know, so terrible having to do this to her character. Mm -hmm. And she was just, I guess, beguiled by the whole process of him and makeup, where she would ask him, can I ride, you know, with you to the set in your car? And oh, he'd be nice. absolutely, and they'd, you know, carpool together to wherever they were going. So he seemed to be a very sweet man mm -hmm. who just thrived in the horror community. Hey, that's usually what happens. Most people we've met who have been, you know, stars in horror movies are generally pretty nice people yeah but you know I, this is also he was also working like 90 years ago so eh, he might have been oh, a little yeah. bit more slurly and i mean prior to him like really taking off and acting he did a lot of like laborious jobs where he was just out there you know breaking his back before and... he literally broke his back Be on Frank yes Stein. before he literally broke his back and i think there's like a new documentary that just came out about him and one of the stories that his daughter said that he loved telling was he was waiting at a bus stop to either get to the studio and Lon Chaney pulls up and recognized him from like the commissary at the studio. And he's like, Hey, you know, I'll give you a ride to the studio. And he's talking and he's just like, you know, I can't, you know, catch a break. I'm trying to break my way into the movies and it's just not working. And Lon Chaney's advice to him was whatever the part is, you take it and you play that part. Like no one else can play it and no one can replace you. And we got that in Frankenstein. There's been so many adaptations, but there will never be one like Boris Karloff's. It's true. Well, he made it iconic, and that's the key about this movie. I feel we haven't talked at all about the plot <laughs> of this movie, and I will go on record that the plot of this movie is not important. Like, no, I can mean, we be honest here? The plot of this movie is not important. What's important is the imagery, the tone, the atmosphere, and Boris Karloff. That and... With all the adaptations that we've gotten, uh, cartoon-wise, movie-wise, music video-wise, we all know he is reanimated and he is on the loose. That's basically that, the, yeah. the story, right? Yeah. I, I like how we made it like a half hour into this, and now we're just like, oh, yeah. so what's this about at all? Don't worry about it. You, you could probably guess it already. Because it, it's so popular. I don't even know if it's even, like, popular. Frankenstein's like, monster is popular. Well, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because I don't even know if it's, like, popular where it's every person in the entire universe wears a Frankenstein t-shirt every day, looks at your current Frankenstein t-shirt. Uh, because we're recording Frankenstein, duh. But whatever. But I feel this has permeated so much, like, yeah. cinema, like, pop culture, all these other things that you can't get away from it. I mentioned EC Comics earlier when I was talking mm -hmm. about The Graveyard. Yeah. And I say that because I've read those old horror comics and stuff from, like, the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. 
And it looks like these artists were just stealing shit they saw from Frankenstein. Definitely. And even then, watching current horror movies, any of them, you can see parallels from this visually and Frankenstein. Yeah. Or you can even see that the story has been reiterated so many times. And Young I'm, Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. A direct parody of Frankenstein. There's basically this story is just so simple and easy to grasp. It it's permeated everything. Yeah. I don't even know how many people realize how much Frankenstein is in their pop culture diet. I don't know, but I mean, he will forever be a huge part of pop culture. Yeah. I mean, you can't go to Universal Studios without, oh, we're going to pass by Frankenstein parking or we're going to see him in the courtyard when we walk in. How many t-shirts with Frankenstein's face on it did we see when we went to Universal? Oh, definitely at Horror Nights. I mean, he was everywhere. everywhere. I mean, we went through the Bride of Frankenstein maze, which was amazing. It was super fun, yeah. I almost got headbutted by one of the vampire girls. You did. It was a, a very close headbutt. It was funny, but I was like, oh my god, they're my, gonna knock him out. My guess is she didn't realize when she swung out of the window that the person she was swinging into was like 6'3". Yeah. She was like, oh fuck, no. <laughs> but yeah, she almost like, I almost got headbutted at Universal. It was fun. It was a good night. It was. But, I mean, even uh, on the the tram tour, I know the last time we took it during the day was in 2019 before, like, the world fell, fell apart. Mm -hmm. And a big thing with the tram tour was when you're loading into the buses, he would, you know, make a cameo and kind of, like, scare you from, like, the back. Oh, yeah? So you'd be sitting there looking forward, ready to take off, and he would just, like, come up the hill and kind of, like, ah, you know, make noises and scare you. And they would have, like, a photographer out there so you could get pictures with him. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So that was a thing that they started way back when they did the, the tram tour for the first time. And that was a big childhood memory for me when, you know, he came out and... It was we, Frankenstein. And everybody was it was Frankenstein. And, you know, we took a, a group photo with him while sitting on the tram. So, yeah, he's always been there. Yeah. I, I mean, we see, you know, Dracula and other things, other I mean, characters. And that's kind of the interesting thing where Frankenstein, the iconography of Frankenstein is, like, I guess we're, at this point, we've repeated ourselves like 40 fucking times. But to make the final statement on it, you do not understand how big and important Frankenstein is unless you start thinking about it. You yeah. watch the movie, and then if you watch... I don't know, 90% of movies after this, you will see stuff that are, that it influenced. Yeah, definitely. 100% of the horror genre. Most of the Universal movies that came out after Frankenstein take big signals from this. I mean, the only one that's like more unique is like the Dracula series because it was just different vibe. Yeah. Or in like Creature in the Black Lagoon because it's just taking place in a whole other universe. But yeah. like The Wolfman is taking cues. Um, the Invisible Man, which was directed by the same guy, right? James Wales directed Invisible Man? I think so. I mean, Not 100% sure. I mean, they, they shot on the same back lot. But there's a, a lot of cues you get from these, like, really old 30s, 40s horror flicks that came out of Universal. They all take influence and inspiration from Frankenstein. And that created this kind of kishy halloween experience we get now and of the monsters that we do have he is the most docile and children love him because he's supposed to be 
you know, kind of like your friend. So weird. So weird uh, how I, people love Frankenstein. I mean, when you go, you see he gets swarmed by people. Kids aren't afraid of him. Yeah. Because he's supposed to be, like, this gentle he's, giant. He's the nice one. Yeah. You know, Dracula wants to plow you. Wolfman wants to eat you. Frankenstein just wants friend. Friend. And, you know, Invisible Man is just... He's throwing, maniacal. He's just I love throwing it. shit. I love the Invisible Man. He's he's this maniacal Machiavellian villain. It's wonderful. And the creature from the Black Lagoon. You have those beautiful image, that beautiful imagery of him. You know, swimming underneath the water, underneath. I the mean, boat. and then you get the shape of water, which is yeah. like the sequel, and he bangs. Yeah. But you know. You know, Guillermo del Toro. This is his favorite movie. Is Frankenstein Guillermo del Toro's mm-hmm. favorite movie? He has been petitioning for years to be the one to make the remake of Frankenstein. I Okay, I heard about that because he wanted to do a, a Ma- In the Mountain of Madness, mm-hmm. H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, and he wanted to do, like, Frankenstein, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. He wanted to basically yeah. be the the guy to remake all the Universal monster flicks yeah. and, you know, make all his own and whatnot. But that's that's kind of cool. I'm surprised that never happened because I feel he probably could have gotten that done because I know him and Universal have been cool for decades. Well, I'm thinking since we got the Invisible Man, I think what was it 2019? Something like that is before the world ended. Yeah, so I think since the Mummy remake didn't do too good and the Invisible Man, you know, just excelled, you know, broke the ceiling, everyone yeah. loved it. Uh, I think we're getting dracula next and then the wolfman or maybe vice versa i mean versa. we had a dracula movie dracula untold no but, but that one was super bad no but we're, we're getting a new one an updated one kind of like the invisible man mm-hmm. so i'm thinking with universal they're probably thinking okay we'll go in this progression and if we keep doing well maybe they'll give it to del toro because it wouldn't surprise me yeah because i mean i could really see him doing frankenstein and the bride of frankenstein back to back well, I think, honestly, if he wanted to do a faithful adaptation of the movie, mm-hmm. which is probably what he would want to do. I'm sure he's a fan of the book, but he's probably mm-hmm. more inspired by the film. Yeah. He'd probably combine the two. Make, yeah. Because, like, let's let's be honest. The Frankenstein is 70 minutes long. Yeah. And I understand that this movie is 70 minutes long because they were like, let's just take the cool shit from the book and yeah. make a movie about that. Yeah. Well, what do we do to connect it? fuck it we won't we just make we'll just we'll just put some cool shit on the screen we'll be fine yeah but like bride of frankenstein arguably is the better film right it's uh, the better narrative it's the better like plot and all that yeah. stuff even though boris karloff wasn't a fan that they made him talk in that movie yeah i mean he has one line right we belong dead <laughs> no no he, thing. he speaks more in the movie does he yeah he has more than just one line more than one iconic line but yeah, he, he was really disappointed because this is who the character is. And the studio is kind of like, you know what? It's been a couple of years. We want to see him evolve more. It's not like young Frankenstein where it's, you know, really an abnormal brain and he can't really talk. Yeah. This movie, it's a criminal brain. So, yeah, he would be able to talk. And even uh, Henry Frankenstein in this movie makes a comment about him not speaking yet he goes it's tissue he's still learning that's what we get with you know him teaching him how to like sit down on command so it's like yeah it makes sense that over some time he would learn to retalk and mm. do you know do stuff do more things yeah well yeah um where, where else do you want to go with this because i'm 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 good i'm i like me some good frankenstein 
Yeah. So... I've made my opinions up about yes, this. Yes, you have. So I'll throw some trivia at you. Oh, oh, some more trivia. Some I don't more think we've tri- talked about any of that today. Not enough trivia today. You have so, a problem. No, I don't have a problem. Uh, so, I can't really talk shit. My Evil Dead episode was just me ranting on trivia. For like an hour. I, I think I, I only said like a couple of words in that episode. I really like Evil Dead. But go ahead. You get, you get your trivia minute, boo. Awesome. So the windmill, the iconic windmill that we get at the end of the movie where... Henry Frankenstein wasn't supposed to survive. He mm. was supposed to just straight up die. And the studio was like, you know what? You could parlay this into a sequel. So we got to make him live. Um, that windmill setup. Do you know what the inspiration was for that windmill? No. Uh, Don Quixote? Mm-mm. I'm sorry. I was thinking about the only thing that has windmills in it. What do you got? Vandekamp Bakery. The fuck is that? It's, I don't know if the bakery's still there in LA, mm-hmm. but I've seen like the bread at some stores it's just basically a blue windmill. and Wait, that's what that is? Mm-hmm. I've seen that blue windmill on, yeah. like, reds and stuff at the store. Yeah. That's what that's from? Vandekamp, yeah. I don't oh. know if the bakery's still there in L.A., but I think, uh, who? well, it must have been uh, Todd Browning when he was part of the thing. He saw the, the bakery and was like, you know what? A windmill scene would probably be really cool. So they based the Vandekamp to, bread. To go on to my argument of this film, it is just cool scenes strung <laughs> together there is no plot it is just stuff happening it's good stuff also this was johnny cash's favorite film that doesn't surprise me awesome uh let's see what else do oh, i have come on, come on come on boo you're, you're running out of time i know i know i mean i think you know that karloff referred to the monster as the dear old boy oh i didn't know that yeah, that was I, For some reason, I thought Karloff was just, like, really resentful that this was his, his big break. He was like, I'm, oh. a, I'm an actor, damn it. I'm a thespian. And they only know me as the brain-dead mute. Oh, no. I mean, he loved this character. It's just, it took him four hours to sit through makeup to get his face, his hands. Mm. And then the costume was over 20 pounds. Mm. I think his shoes were 13 pounds apiece. Because he was wearing, like, the shoes that they wear to, um, like, do tarring on roofs or on streets. Well, I saw his, I saw his boots, and I think they're the same ones that um, uh, now used in, like, Sunrise. So they're, like, cement-weighted. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's like, give him this big lumbering movement. But it's also, like, you're dragging cinder blocks on your feet through scenes. Considering this was shot during the summer here in California, it's like... He joined the Screen Actors Guild specifically so he wouldn't have to make movies like that anymore. Yeah. I mean, the the physical tolls that he took for this character, you know, it's just amazing to see. They paid off because when you think of Frankenstein, you think Karloff. Yeah, that and he never stopped working. Never stopped working. I think he was still acting up until he died, right? Yeah, I think he died on a... He he died on a plane ride back after finishing filming. Wow. Yeah. And then we have the amazing speech at the beginning of the movie by Edward Van Sloan where he warns the audience. I, I was so weirded out by that, but I loved it because I'm like, this is really feeling like a storybook, right? Yeah. It's, it's like you're about to observe this. And then also after that, everything you see, no matter how weird or how like out of place, how surrealist or expressionistic it is makes total sense yeah and it's just that opening thing is really cool and i really like that yeah you know you don't have to like pan off of the book that says frankenstein or we have that great publicity shot from dracula 
where it's the cast of Dracula and it's the girl reading the Dracula book, mm -hmm. you feel like you're getting the story without actually seeing the book featured anywhere. This also feels like if you read the book and you had to give the cliff notes of the book, mm -hmm. this is probably what you would get, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's this guy, he robbed some graves, then some people showed up, and then and then the monster came to life, and yeah. then there was a windmill. And yeah. also they were getting married at some point in there, but eh, that's not really important. It'll come up in the third act. Yeah, and then that speech that we get by him is was written by John Huston. Really? Mm-hmm. No so, shit. So it's just interesting to see how many layers the movie has for just feeling like, oh, it's a horror movie, you know. The monster comes back to life, and he terrorizes the village. It's like, no, there's a lot of complex layers that go into this movie. I think that's probably why it was on the AFI for the first run. Yeah. Not only just its, like, iconic nature, but also it, there's a lot going on here, and it's really good. It's a great movie. So your recommendation is great movie. Go see it this Halloween. Absolutely. And speaking of going and seeing it, we're actually going to watch it tomorrow at CityWalk. Oh, it is tomorrow? It's tomorrow. We're going to go see... Dracula and Frankenstein, a double feature celebrating their 90th anniversaries. Shit, I forgot. Eh, it'll be fine. It'll be a good time, so look out for our social media. We'll be posting stuff from CityWalk. Maybe we'll make a trip into Universal. Maybe. 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 But, since we're getting towards the end of this episode, why don't you spoil what's coming up next week? Next week is going to be awesome. So, we're going to be talking about a classic kind of horror flick. Uh, that's going to be Vincent Price's House on Haunted Hill from like 1950-something. It has William Castle directing it, and it's old spook house fun. Now, when Dean says that this is classic, it's not classic in our hearts. This is legit classic horror. It's a little cheesy, it's kind of scary, and it has one of the greatest horror actors of all time, Vincent, Vincent Price. Price. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk about it. Me either. I just watched it recently for uh, Elvira's 40th anniversary show. Oh, yeah? She showed this. She showed a couple of other movies that I haven't seen before. You probably would have dug them. Mm -hmm. um, you could still watch it. It's on Shudder right now. Oh, sick. So I, I highly recommend you do that. But how stoked are you to watch House on Haunted Hill? Very stoked. I remember really digging this movie after I saw the remake in like the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I'll, get, I'll see the original. And the original is just so fucking goofy and it's so much fun but where can they go to see it well if you want to listen to us on a platform than you currently are you can find us on anchor fm apple Podcasts, spotify and we're also on a different kind of platform these days we are we're actually on the youtube channel in the frame where you can find this podcast the film club podcast as well as the film odyssey podcast which i do with my brother we're going through the afi top 100 right now and we are also going to revive an old podcast, Too Obscure for TV. It's alive. It's alive. So bad. So bad. I had to do it. Sorry. But anything else, Boo? Well, with that, we'll see you next week at the Phone Club. Peace. Peace.